Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. My guest today is Sandra Weinacht. And before we get to Sandra, let me tell you that our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. You'll see photos of our guests, you'll see photos of me, you'll see some stories that I've written, stories that some of the guests have written, you'll see links to their social media, you'll see links to our social media, and that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on X. We have a Facebook page, we have a YouTube channel. Follow us at all those places, if you would. You can listen to the show on the site, streaming our RSS feed. Or more likely, most of you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio or Spotify. Whatever service you use to listen to the podcast, I would ask you that you not only subscribe, but to please give us a good rating, because that helps more people find the show, boosts our presence. That's a cool thing for you to do, and I would appreciate it. If you think you'd make a good guest for the show, or you know somebody who would be a great guest, or you want to write, ask travel questions, or maybe just tell me how awesome I am, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Okay, let's talk about Sandra Weinacht. As you can probably tell by my horrible pronunciation, Sandra is German. Well, originally from Germany, now lives in South Carolina. Married an American guy, you know how that goes. Anyway, we met uh, maybe, gosh, must be a couple of years now ago at a Germany tourism event at where else? A brewery. Little microbrew pub down here in uh, the South Bay, all to promote some lesser known regions of Germany. And Sandra and her husband run a tour company called Inside Europe Travel Experiences. You can get it at inside-europe.com. They're also at Europe Insiders on Instagram. And you can follow Sandra on Instagram, her personal page is My Travelicious Life. Anyway, as you can tell by their name, Europe Insiders, and of course from her background being German, Europe is her specialty. And for the past 15 years or so, she's been coordinating and leading tours throughout Europe, and they're really known for catering to specific groups. Whatever you're into. Is it food? They can cater to that. Is it beer? Plenty of that. Wine? Sure. Museums? They can do that. Outdoorsy stuff. You name it, they can do it. So we talk about the highs and lows of running a tour company, leading tour groups, how she got started in the business. We talk about some favorite places of hers to visit and some not-so-favorite places. A lot of that stuff. Also, I got to learn about her background growing up in Germany, being a child when the Berlin Wall came down and the reunification of Germany, the culture shock of first coming out to America for college, and then later on living here. We cover a lot of stuff. The reason it went longer is because I was interested in what she was talking about. And it's always so much more fun to do an interview in person rather than on Zoom, which uh, I am so over Zoom, but I know it's a necessary evil, but man, there's nothing like having somebody here in person. So I caught her when she was in town and happened to be staying not too far from me. She came over, brought me a nice coffee. We sat down in the garage and had a nice chat. So I hope you enjoy listening in. Please enjoy my cup of coffee with Sandra Weinacht. Okay, so we're doing the Weinacht and not the Weinacht. Yeah, and we're not doing the, the German style. Yeah, not the Weinacht. That was college. <laughs> right. Okay. 
Why not? Uh, okay. So you're living in South Carolina now. For how long have you been there? That's a very good question. If you're asking from a State Department perspective. <laughs> I don't know. Are you on the lam here? Should you be, do- should be using a fake name? No, no. It's okay. Um, it's just I'm not one of those 90-day fiancé getting married for the green card. It was the obvious for that. Uh, yeah. The opposite of that. So how long have we been? So the child's 15. We had her in New York. Clearly, numbers and math is not my thing. Okay. Um, so, about 13 years. Okay. Well, you're coming from Germany. It's not like you're coming from a third world country to uh, get a green card. Well, I came Actually, from it's more New reverse. York. I should go over there. Yeah, and exactly. Like, better. <laughs> I want a green card over there for the, just for the benefits. Yeah, I'll never forget that. I mean, it took forever to get the papers. It was a expensive. Um, I had to, you know, my husband had to sponsor me, even though I had the better job, the more money, the clean police record, <laughs> and vice versa. I asked for the Germans what it would take for him to get a work permit, and they're like, so you're German, he's American, you want him to work here and live here? And I'm like, yeah. It's like $15, and you need to prove that he has health care. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> However, it would have been very different if I had said he was from Ecuador, oh, sure, yeah, Afghanistan, course, yeah. or God knows what. So, yeah. What is his uh, profession? So that well, he, matters too, right? Well, no, that, that, that doesn't matter. If a German, oh, it doesn't. Okay. A, a German wife or a German husband brings anybody over, it's cool. Um, but he's an engineer. Okay. So that's interesting, though, because I talked to a lot of expats and, and things on here. So if I were to marry a German woman... They wouldn't give a rat's ass what you do. But I don't get the... Healthcare? No, well, it's, you know, your job usually provides, well, if she has healthcare, you get it. You marry her, or your yeah, job okay, provides you healthcare. But why did they ask about your husband's? Does no, they just said I had to health? sign him on my healthcare, oh, okay. and then he could get a job. But not like here, where, you know, you have to go through all these paperwork. No, yeah, I had horrible. to have an HIV test. They looked at my uterus and God knows stuff to get me a green card. I'm like, what for? <laughs> what, are you, what are you intending to do with this? Um, but that's a different topic, yeah. yes. What part of uh, Germany did you grow up in? So I grew up in Rheinland-Pfalz, an area that nobody has ever heard of, um, except that it's close to Heidelberg, and near Frankfurt Airport. But we're famous for wine, great food. Within Germany, it's known as the Tuscany of Germany. Oh. So we grow lemons and melons and really good wines, yeah. Is it the wine, the, what's that, the white wine that's Germany's known So, for? yeah, we have Rieslings as Riesling, well as, yeah. you know, Weißburgunder, White Burgundies, Pinot Grigio, Grauburgunder. That's one that's very sweet. I don't like a, it's No, see, it? this is another one of those American misconceptions. Okay, good. So the shitty wine from Germany. You send here. Exactly, yes. <laughs> it's and like we, the Canadians send their bad beer here. Exactly. And we give it like weird names like Schwarze Katze, the black cat, or, <laughs> right. and it comes in odd shapes. And it's, but that's the stuff grandmas drink. Germans don't drink sweet Riesling, period. Right. It's like us sending like pink Zinfandel over yeah. to <laughs> Exactly. So, okay. So you're, you're living there. You grew up there. Yeah. Born and raised. Okay. So oh, you don't have to age yourself here, but you do remember the reunification. Absolutely. I actually remember because we packed up the car and drove two days after the wall came down. And I had driven over back and forth with my grandparents because we had relatives. I think everybody had relatives. And you would send care packages and then once in a while you would go. So I still remember when I was really young and we would go with my grandpa's Mercedes. Nothing fancy, like the standard, you know, even the well, taxis. Well, there, Mercedes that, is a taxi, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. The taxi, taxis like were better Chevy. cars than my grandpa's. <laughs> and, you know, we drove and like any normal kid at the time, you know, I had the crayons. I had the comic books and stuff like that. And every single time we would cross the border when the wall was still up, they would rate that car like as if grandpa was a drug dealer or God Ooh, knows yeah. what. And he wasn't. Um, but they would take my comic books away um, oh. because, you know, that was really progressive 
you know, yeah. Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck. Oh, <laughs> holy Moses. Um, however, the one time they also took my crayons and I threw a fit because I'm the sure. comic book thing I was prepared for. And then my grandma just explained that, you know, the kids didn't have them. And those were the cheap kind from the dollar store. Yes. So, yeah, it was just, it's weird. But yeah, we went over two days after the wall came down. And it was exciting to see. Now, it was not Berlin. We were on, you know, more yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Weimar side and stuff like that. But it was a great time. Yeah. It that was, must have been, I can't imagine it here and and, and you know i can only because i went there in 89 that was my first trip out of the country and uh, you know i did the ural backpacking thing for six weeks and after university you know and uh, i was in west berlin and uh you know i i you know i took the day trip into east berlin i had they made me buy east german money which i still have some because i got back and i did i, it was I couldn't a buy anything i couldn't yeah. buy anything and I got back and I tried to give it away to the local West Germans and they're like, oh, we don't want that crap. <laughs> it's like it's worth nothing. And so I just kept it home as a souvenir. But I've told this before on here, but I stayed with a young guy in West Berlin who grew up in West Berlin. And uh, we had met him there. And I, I asked him point blank. I said, how long do you think this wall is going to? Do you think this is ever going to come down? He went, nah, I don't really see it. And then six months later, I'm watching the television. And they're smashing it up. I went... Wow, history moves pretty fast. But yeah, it was no. the wall was just such a weird thing, you know, just going uh the taking the subway and those ghost stops where no one got on and no one got off. And oh yeah. It was like going from a color movie to a black and white back into color. It was very weird. Um did you have a sense growing up even as a kid that this was going to be the way it was always or did they were there was there talk that this is going to happen oh you know there was talk that this was going to happen and then you know you it was a big it was big news and you could feel it happening. You were watching the news. But again, you know, I was a teenager, so it was not my top priority. We didn't live anywhere right. near the wall. It was just something we went on vacation and it was there. But then as it was building up, you know, it was a topic in school. I was in high school at the time. It was big in the newspaper. I worked as a journalist already starting then. So it was something of you had that feeling that something special, something monumental was about to happen. And then when it happened, it was it was really cool. It was one of those moments that I think all of us, my whole generation, will forever remember. Of course. Now, let's also remember that the greatest gift America ever gave to Germany as part of the wall coming down was David Hasselhoff oh, yeah, singing I've Been Looking for Freedom. <laughs> and to date, this is a song that... Every German knows. It's one of those beer yep. fest hymns. <laughs> and, you know, he, he became a huge He's pop gigantic, star yeah. in my country. And people, you know, sometimes say that I married uh, David Hasselhoff lookalike. Oh, does he look like him? Is he, well, I, I've seen Hasselhoff in person. He's he's a tall guy. He's a big yeah. Guy. I, I married a tall guy, not okay. big, um, but <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, yeah. But, yeah, but he he did. You know, when Ted when I started when I met Ted at Oktoberfest in two thousand and two, he did look a little bit like David Hasselhoff. But that was not my type. So you know, we worked on that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll back it up here for a second. But uh, just to you know, on the to end this part, I didn't know. So what was the? We all knew the wall. But from where all the other borders between East and West Germany, were you just allowed to, like you said, to vacation that you could go in there for like... Yeah, we could go. You just go through a checkpoint and that's it? Yeah, you went through a checkpoint. I'm not sure if you had to have an invitation. You probably had to have an invitation and you had to prove where you were going. Um, yeah. And 
you know, East Germans could visit, but only if they were of a certain age. So when we had visitors from the East, it was never the kids or the younger generation. It was always only the grandparents because there was that fear of, you know, leaving and never coming back. Well, the other part was, you know, when it did come down, East Germany was much poorer than West Germany. And is there still remnants of that today that the East is still trying to catch up yeah, I think my generation, and I know that doesn't sound right, um, but you always can tell which side of the wall you grew up on simply based on your experiences, especially when it comes to travel. So, you know, for us, we would travel to Italy, to Spain, yeah. to Greece. Now, my East German friends, if they were lucky, they got, you know, to Ukraine, to Russia, Poland, yes, or the Black Sea. And um, it's food also that differentiates us a little bit. Um, It's music. TV references. TV references. (laughs) Absolutely. No Hasselhoff. Yeah, no Hasselhoff over there. Um, And, you know, I went to school in Berlin. So that was, and that was an exciting time. It was because that's when the whole generations then came together. And, um, yeah, one of my best friends, she grew up on the other side, so we learned a lot from each other. And But it's just something, I think nowadays the kids have no clue, they don't see the differences. Um, and it wasn't all bad over there. I mean, they had an amazing childcare system, uh, university, well, as long as you had the right political belief, yeah. <laughs> uh, you could become anything you wanted to be. Um, you know, the arts were very, very much supported. Um, this is just something I heard... You know, and it was great as an American to go there because, you know, all we heard growing up in the 70s and 80s was communism. And then you go and you go around the world a little bit. And when my eyes started getting, oh, there's different levels. Like East German communism was different than they had in Yugoslavia and different than they had in Czechoslovakia and then different they had in Soviet Union. It was in China. It was completely different. Absolutely. And so, you know, they just use this blanket statement of this. We had this image of you, you guys couldn't go anywhere. You were locked down. You know, if the, if you were in behind there, and then you talk to you know people in Croatia and 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 stuff like that, and like no, we we traveled all over the place, and it, it was a lot leaner, I guess, uh, more lenient down there than even in East Germany, I guess that was yeah, absolutely. a little more strict. And then you know, people always think that oh, Germany, you know, all it's just this white, you know, carpet of whiteness. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's BS because, you know, but again, we're differentiating with our immigrants. So course, on the yeah. east side, you had a lot of people from Vietnam immigrating. You had the Cubans coming in. Oh, the, um, the other communist countries, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Were there a lot of Russians there too? And Polish? Not so many. I think Russians was more like in political functions and yeah. maybe, you know, working in comp- companies and that, but um, the... I mean, for me, it was like mind-boggling when I finally had my first good fall, um, <laughs> thanks to the Vietnamese immigrants yeah, that you know great. were in East Germany. And then once the wall came down, once I started in Berlin, I was like, "Yeah, now we're talking. Isn't That's great cra- food." Yeah, isn't it crazy how uh, Berlin has gotten? Just how like it's just this hub of international. You know, it's like a very hip city, like one of the biggest in the world now. But I couldn't get a line on Berlin. It's almost, it reminded me of L.A. in a little bit, that there was no real kind of center. There was like, there's a cool neighborhood over here, and then there's another cool neighborhood way over there on that side of town, and then there was what, it's uh, like see, I, couldn't get a, I couldn't get a beat on it. See, for me, Berlin is more like New York um, than in L.A., because you could still get from place A to place B well, really, I mean, yeah, really quick. Yes, you got the trains, you got the buses. I just mean in the, in the footprint that it's very spread out. You, know, you I just think found so? It, yeah, I thought so. More than like, you know, like Munich or Rome or something like that. 
maybe because I lived there for so long that I didn't get that feeling. But yeah, um, yeah Berlin has very distinct neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. And um, I chose to live in one of the rough ones when I first... Oh. Well, actually, no, I started off in the really nice one. Typical <laughs> West German, protected, way too nice. Then I made the complete switch. And the neighborhood that I moved in was the next week featured in our German, you know, Spiegel magazine as the place where you really have to watch out where grandma called. It's like, are you okay? Is everything going to be fine? I'm like, yes, everything's going to be fine. And then I went into Kreuzberg, which was really the cool happening right. part of town. So, it's like yeah. the Williamsburg of uh, <laughs> Yeah, <Berlin>. so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So when did, when did you come to America? Did you come uh, because of your husband or did you just... Have you, were you traveling all over the place? Yeah, so I actually came to America as my graduation present. Oh, so, okay. um, from university? Yes. Okay. No, actually, no, high school. Oh, okay. Yeah, so one of the big deals um, that we have in Germany is usually you you get a car when you graduate. Well, I worked as a journalist starting when I was 14. And by the time I was 18 and I could get my driver's license, I had enough money to actually get a car and I needed a car. And my boss was very happy that I finally had a car because that's also when he found out that I was actually not 18 um, <laughs> after having interviewed some some cool people and done some fun stuff. But uh, long story short, so I then negotiated with my dad on what I could do. And I was always fascinated with America. I was, you know, watched all the shows, um, the whole spectrum from 90210 to Married with Children (laughs) and Roseanne. Boy, boy, that's the message we're putting out there. That's tough. It is. And let's not forget Knight Rider. (laughs) Knight Rider, Um, of course. Knight Rider, yes. Um, Magnum. And, the great egg. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the one big challenge that I have is everything is dubbed in German. So, you know, Tom Cruise sounds completely different. Yeah. Um, David Hasselhoff does. And also and the shows. The real voices and it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't. Yeah. And the shows have different titles. So another one that I was fascinated with, um, it was with Lee Majors and Heather Locklear. Oh, the fall guy. Where he was a bounty hunter? Uh, yeah, he was like a, a stuntman. Maybe. I thought he was a, just a bounty hunter, but... Um, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't. Okay. Well, that we'll just forget about that. I don't even know where it's going with <laughs> what that. What do they call but, it over there? Ein Colt für alle Fälle. What does that mean? Uh, so a Colt, like the revolver or the pistol, for all occasions. Oh, okay. Uh, That's not bad. That's kind of cool. Yeah, a lot of those movie titles don't really translate <laughs> whatsoever. And um, thank God they didn't change Top Gun because that would have been, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so I was always fascinated. I really loved watching American TV, like most mm-hmm. of us in my generation, listen to the music. We didn't really pay too much attention to the lyrics, even though most of us spoke English semi-fluently. My first foreign language was French in high school, then came English, then Italian. Um, and you would also have these rap artists in like family TV shows on like a Saturday night with, you know, grandmas in the audience, grandmas at home watching and them dropping any kind of possible BF bombs <laughs> there. And, you know, everybody's just like, it's like a beer fest. Oh, this yeah, is nice, yeah, yeah. nice music. And nobody pays any attention to what they're sure. saying. So that's still when you get to those beer festivals <laughs> nowadays, we have all your bad songs and our own. Um, but so, yeah, I was fascinated. And I said, I always wanted to go to the U.S. So I did some research and then figured out that it was actually cheaper to go to university for six months than taking a six-week language immersion experience. Yeah, yeah. So I, we talked my father into letting me go to to college in America to start off there, actually, right after graduation. And and um, I picked FIU, Florida International University, 
sounded cool. Why not? I mean, we all... So it was Florida right there yeah, in the nobody, title. I, nobody had... I didn't have any idea what Florida was all about. Okay. I just, you know, you, you see the pictures, you think it's great. Um, what town is FIU in? I FIU is Miami. Oh, it is Miami. Um, which okay. is, is still cool. I still like you Miami nowadays. However, And then that, you saw Miami Vice, you're like, hey, here we go. It was never my thing. I was not no. into Miami Vice at all. No. <laughs> I like the cars. Um, yeah. But so that was the year, unfortunately, where the Germans drove the rental cars into the shitty neighborhoods and got kind of killed. Um, Oh, yeah, so now your grandmother's freaking out again. Grandma's freaking out again, <laughs> so that's not happening. So I ended up at in Tampa. So I ended up at USF, which yeah. at the time I called useless F, and I, you know, I'm sorry for anybody who's offended at this point. <laughs> but it's hard to offend Florida. I mean, it really, I mean, they they know who they are. Yeah, and I mean, there was no football team. Like, why would you want to go to a college that has no football team? I don't know to learn something, maybe. Yeah, well, that was the other problem I had. So I get into my school, I do my classes. Yeah. You're not going to an Ivy League school. No, I mean, not <laughs> even also, that. By the way, Tampa, not South Florida. That That's the thing that always pissed me off about that. Maybe you could call it Western Florida. You know, that would work. But Southern Florida? No, it's not South Florida. Go on. I'm sorry. That no, that always pissed me off about that. See, university. now you, you got me thinking about geography again, um, which is also why I travel outside of the U.S., because your country is <laughs> just too damn big. Um, it is huge. Yeah. So, you know, I get there, and they put me in all these classes like World History 101, like name the capital of France. I'm like, seriously, people? I've been yeah. to Paris God knows how many times. Um, yeah, the class is for Americans. I know. Who but have they, never been anywhere and don't don't know that stuff. Yeah. So they kind of made me do all of that. But you I got also, a good grade. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figured out how to get good grades for other people as well, so that was a yeah, nice side gig. Good business. Um, and I stayed off campus, which was cool. But shortly after figuring out that USF wasn't for me and the classes that I was eligible to take were like stuff that I did when I was fifteen in German high school, yeah. um, I changed for community college in Ybor City, and that was a cool place to be Ybor in the mid nineties. Right? Oh in my Tampa. god, that was awesome. That was a very you cool how place. To roll cigars. <laughs> yeah, I don't smoke, but uh, passively. So, I know, you you, know. That's. That seems to be their big trade there, you know, is, rolling it, cigars and selling drinks. But it was a happening place. It was an yeah, absolutely happening I, I, place. I probably and saw you there. I have family that went. You know, awesome. Yeah. Day. And, you know, going to community college gave me a totally different perspective because that um, college atmosphere at USF, the, oh, my God, we got a party, you know, the keg parties, the wet T-shirt contest. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, kids, we've done that when we were 15 or 16. So, yeah, it, that didn't work out so well for me. So six months later, the money ran out, but I didn't want to go home yet because in the meantime, I had picked up a writing gig for oh, nice. the Ebor City Gazette um, and really loved that. I, I loved, took journalism classes. And so I got myself a nanny gig and oh, stayed nice. on for another six months because my dad was like uh you coming home um grandma helped a little bit further on mm -hmm. and um so i spent my first year in the u.s then went home went to school my husband always jokingly says she got her master's at the fu berlin <laughs> and i did the free university um and um from there i thought i'll never ever come back to the u.s other than to visit mm. um and then i got sucked into this happy industry of tourism uh. That'll do it. Yeah. And then, so you did, were you doing from a, a writing aspect? Were you do it like a travel writer? Was that your thing? Yeah, I wasn't a travel writer. No, I covered uh, human interest and I okay. covered mainly sports events. So I was a girl in a guy's world. Um, I, used to, I was a sports writer out of university. Oh, look at that. that I didn't know we had that in newspapers. common. Okay. Well, so I Kids, covered. newspapers were these paper things that the news came in. I know it sounds weird to anybody younger than 20, but yeah, that's how people got their news. Yeah, and it's like you could actually make money bringing people their newspaper Crazy, in the morning. Right? It was yeah. amazing. My husband did that, yeah. 
And um, so, yeah, so I was actually, no, I covered human interest in sports. And since I spoke a few languages, it got me a few cool gigs when, you know, foreign heads of state came in and you had to interview them and help others out. I got to see Montserrat Caballé, which I think nobody here knows who she is, a famous opera singer without makeup. That was a little scary. It's like, you know, the Real Housewives of New York season, yeah. whatever we're in now. You're peeking behind the curtain. Yeah. Scary. Um, but that was fun. I got to cover the Athens Olympics. Um, oh, great. did a couple World Cups. Yeah. Awesome. I'm a big uh, uh, English football fan, but I've seen matches around the world. You know, I've seen, God, you know, in England, in Brazil, in Sweden, I saw a match in uh, in Turkey, in Istanbul. It's just one of my favorite things to do when I travel. I like to see, I saw baseball in in Tokyo, which was fun. I still haven't been to a live rugby match, which is what I I want to go to see. It's never the season. Whenever I seem to travel down there, but I tried cricket, I couldn't get into it. I, no, you it, know, rugby in Italy is like a big, big deal. Yeah, so and in France that, as well. Yeah, so keep that on your, yeah, on your yeah, list. Yeah. So you're doing that, and when did the travel come in? So I always traveled. So traveling has been something sure. we we did as a family. Um, I got shipped off alone. Um, Germans ship their kids off very early for summer camps, be it with church or not, to foreign countries. I remember going to Spain when I was 14 and just sleeping on the beach because the hotel was so shitty for a week. <laughs> and then coming home and never talking about it. Um, but yeah, so we always traveled. We even traveled on Sundays. We went to France for lunch. Also because the cigarettes were cheaper and the cheese was better. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I've, you know. I did envision myself as a travel writer at one point. But I was traveling as a writer, going to places, but not necessarily covering the places. However, yeah, yeah. as I was going, I was always not looking for stories, but looking for moments. Or that's, I think that's my, that's my thing. I just, you know, co- looking for good coffee shops, yeah. <laughs> finding the place to eat, um, where am I going to hang out? And so how did I get into travel? Uh, it was a guy that tried to pick me up in a nightclub that talked to me Here about this amazing... There's always some guy that's so, leading you around all over the world. It is, and I'm eventually I actually here. hired him somewhere. Um, no, it wasn't Ted leading me around the world. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, and um, yeah, so he was telling me about this amazing opportunity and how I would be perfectly suited to, you know, take care of Americans as a tour escort. And I'm like, tour escort, honey, you know, that's a whole different gig. And he's like, no, 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 it's not what you think it is. And I'm like, well, it better not be. Um, And he kept talking and talking. And I just, the guy was so annoying. Um, So, but I'm like, well, you know, yeah, why don't you, let's, let's meet for coffee and you, you tell me more. Um, And, you know, that was before we texted each other and the internet was great and stuff like that. But he did mention a company name at that, you know, weird moment in the nightclub where yeah he figured out what i was good at within minutes i'm like "Mm -hmm, (laughs) sure so i actually looked up that company it was based in switzerland um and called them up and used the guy as a you know entry point i said yeah he told me that you guys are currently looking and hiring i have an availability and they were like, oh, my God, can you be at Templehof Airport tomorrow and we'll fly you over to take care of this group of Americans on their southern Germany explorations? And I'm like, um, yeah, let me check my calendar. So I did call back my yeah. dad and I'm like, hey, this opportunity just came. And he's like, well, can you take time off from your real job? And I was still in college. I'm like, probably. Um, and they offered I me, mean, they offered to fly me business class. I'd never Ooh, been in gotta, business class. And I mean, that. yeah, I got to take that. And he was flying from Templehof, which is a totally, u- in Berlin. Okay. It's that small, small airport oh, yeah, yeah, that the yeah, Allies yeah. used. Yeah, great, great experience. Um, yeah, so long story short, 
I got on that plane. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I got a faxed 15-page document of an itinerary of what we were to cover. And yeah, so I traveled with this group of Americans on a preset standard tour of mainly Switzerland, Austria, and Germany so they want over to look, a week. they want to look at the castles, That's that area? <laughs> yeah, look at the ca- I mean, it was the yeah. most... It's, it's something that I still can't put together for anybody, even if they would pay me millions, because it was just the opposite of what a real travel experience is like. Right. Were these old people? It was a mixed batch, which is, I think, the other problem. Like you a know, bus full? How a bus full. A, a bus full. Oh, yeah. A bus full of people that had nothing like in common people. with each other. Yeah. 40 oh, people. Um, That's you know, hard. Mediocre hotels, really shitty food, yeah. and horrible timing. Uh, so long story short, halfway through the trip, they call again, and they're like, hey, how are you doing? How's everything? And, and we were fine. I mean, I took care of them. It wasn't rocket science. Uh, I'd been to all the places that they were going to, and I bought a couple of guidebooks just in case. But yeah. then it turned out that really no in-depth information was asked of me. So they called again and they said, hey, you know, we have another tour for you. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Thank you. I mean, that's that's just not, you know, that's not what I do. And they were like, well, the next one is just Switzerland. It's six people. It's all five-star hotels. Ooh, hey. It's very high-end. Glacier <laughs> Express. And, you know, we'll double your salary. And I'm well. Like, hmm. And they paid in Swiss francs, which is well, nice. It was nice at the they time. They got money. Yeah, yeah they do. Um, and so, long story short, I did that one as well. Um, That'll get you through college. Oh, it, yeah. It was nice. It, <laughs> it was nice, cushy. And then, you know, there was the tips and everything like that. And on that trip, I met, you know, people that were actually, they knew what they bought. You know, yeah, they yeah. had a small group like that. Probably, group like yeah. that. Were you in a van? Is it- no, we still had a 30-seater bus or a 35-seater. Six, yeah. For six people. Jeez. Six people, yep. Um, but it was really nice hotels. It was good food. And it was also, there was time to enjoy those places. Because on the first trip, and that's still, yeah. we're talking 20 years later, the Walk standard American... Take your photos the and Amer- get back yeah, in the, the bus. standard American tour is still the same. It was 20 years ago. And it sucked then and it sucks now. And I think <laughs> yeah. that's also where, when I started working in travel on my own, I'm like, yeah, why in the world are we doing the same thing over and over? <laughs> While, you know, you live in a society, I can go to McDonald's and tell them to hold the onions and put extra mustard. <laughs> but when it comes to travel, people just book the same old, same old and miss out on the beauty of all these places. Yeah, but I mean, you and I were much more to get you know first of all experienced in with that and there's a lot of fear um they they want to know something that's i mean they they're just they worry about safety and they figure this tour's been going on for years it's probably pretty safe and it's probably they know what they're doing and they're seeing the highlights and we only have a week so that's what they do i mean as someone who works in on cruise ships i don't get cruise ships but i try to look at it from their point of view it's good for people who just want to go and do nothing and I think most people's lives are just so busy that they love just have everything done for them. They don't have to worry about where to eat, where to cook, the clean, nothing. They just want to go and just have it all done for them. And that's not how I like to travel, but I get it. And I get it like a lot of people with kids seem to really like cruises too because they can just kind of like let the kids off. And, you know, and there's a kid's uh, department where it's basically a day camp where they watch them and do activities and paint their faces or whatever the hell they do. And the parents can just, you know, it's exhausting raising kids. <laughs> so they hell just yeah, go. you're telling a teenage mom yeah. how exhausting it is. So you know? they just like to go, you know, go. And, and the food thing is a big deal. 
uh, that they don't have to constantly feed these kids. You know, find out where where how we're we gonna feed them. What are we gonna cook for them? But just go to the buffet and get what you know. And it's twenty four seven. Oh, you're hungry? Go get ice cream. You know, just to shut them up. So I get that, but that's not how my life is. It's so chaotic. I want to go turn it all off. Uh, I can't wait to get off the show when I'm there. But uh, that's me. But I mean, I'm there working. So I mean, I. It's not how I travel, but it's how they do it. You know. So I get it. It's not my thing. Those bus tours, not my thing. Well, you know that that's what I do for a living now, right? I, yeah. I run bus tours, but yeah, but I mean, but in a different way. It's a, yeah, but you have to sell it in a you know, yeah. How engaged? It's how fast is the travel? You know, is it, is it just? I'm sure your tours. You want to give time and places, right? You don't want to just pile them off for an hour and okay, take your photos, get in the bus. Absolutely not. I mean, that's I think that's the reason why you know that first group. Br- burned me for life in so many ways because it was people that had nothing in common that didn't know each other and they the only thing they had in common is they booked that trip together yeah um and you know the way we work nowadays or we plan our trips is we we look for people that actually either know each other already or have a common interest be it beer be it wine be it italian slow food and that's then when you can work magic that's when you can really make an experience out of the obvious. Yes, you will see the Eiffel Tower. Yes, you will see the Colosseum, depending on where you're going and what your time is. But the people that we work with, they want to sit in that little coffee shop around the corner with the locals and enjoy and take time and not feel rushed. Yes, they're still taken care of, like you said, and I see that too. But for me also, traveling with my own daughter, uh, our own daughter, um, or having met my husband at Oktoberfest on a trip that he was on and me, the tour guide. Was this the Oktoberfest? Yeah, the Oktoberfest, yes. Not a fake one out somewhere. (laughs) See, they're not fake because that's the problem with the Oktoberfest. So let's go there for a second. Okay. Um, Sure. Yeah. I was there once. To and? Munich, okay, tell me how you felt about Munich Oktoberfest. Okay, so I did it when I was old enough, uh, probably too old, to go there on my own. Um, so I started a three-month journey in my late 40s, and I flew into Munich. So I was already jet-lagged. So yesterday, pretty much, right? What's that? So yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And... Uh, so I fly in, and it was the last weekend of October, which I think it was like the first weekend of October. So mm-hmm. it was ending. And the weather was perfect. So I ended up going uh, Saturday uh, in beautiful weather, and it was intensely crowded. And I learned then that you couldn't just wander into a tent. You know, you had to have a ticket. You had to, like, plan well, this out a little bit. You, and I had to, you can if you're a hot chick, for example. Well, yeah, so, yes. well... This guy not getting in, especially on a Saturday, it was packed. And not just, you know, it's probably the Germans were outnumbered by, you know, hordes of Italian guys and, you know, these guys, everything, everybody was there. Backpackers, it was insane. And uh, I managed to get into one of the less popular <laughs> tents, which was fun. It was fun to do. But um, yeah, I just, I, I drank a lot more beer in my 20s and it probably wasn't a lot more fun with friends. Back then, and then I remember at the train station, just bodies of people just sleeping everywhere, guys throwing up over in the side, and it was, um, yeah. 
Yeah. So and see that, and that breaks my heart because that that is the true Oktoberfest experience now and has been pretty much for the last ten years. Now yeah. this year is a little bit different because we just learned that the hotels in Munich are actually not fully booked, um, which shows is that this a COVID hangover. A, or is it? Well, it's probably the tents are sold out. Um, however, yeah. the hotels are not, and that means that there's more locals going again as have done in the past. That there's more people from the region coming, which that would be a good thing because that's what Oktoberfest used to be like. So when I met Ted at Oktoberfest in 2002, and I'd gone a few years, and I don't even drink beer, but I do enjoy the camaraderie. I enjoy the social aspect of it. The food usually is great. Um, yeah, you, I smuggled in wine. <laughs> um, you've had some really nice guys. And mm-hmm. However, when you were saying initially, it's like the real Oktoberfest and the others are fake. Actually, the Oktoberfest itself is one of the fake ones because there's beer festivals in Germany that are way older yeah. Much more I was established. referring to the ones at the mall here. Oh, never mind. Okay, or oh, the one <laughs> yeah. in Alpine Village. I mean, the, Got yeah. it. Yes. Okay, the never fake mind. The ones here. That's. The, I'm not talking about Germany. Yeah, because like my favorite beer festival, for example, happens in July in a town called Würzburg. Yeah. That beer festival is almost a thousand years old. And that's the and one I want to go to. Exactly, and that's the one you need to go to. Yeah. And that's the one we've been bringing friends over now for three years in a row. They're girls. The mom offered them to go anywhere right. in the world this summer. And what did they say? We want to go back to Würzburg. We want to go to Kalyani. Right. We love it so much. Well, going so, to Munich Oktoberfest yeah. is one of those bucket list things. You check it off. Okay, now that I've done that. Now I'd want to go to one like that. You know, kind of a cool, mellow and, one, and a so smaller many, town. And, or, you know, insider tip. Go to Munich for Stockbier Festival in February, the Strong Beer Festival. Ooh, okay. So you get Sounds the... cold. Well, you know, well, the, Munich, but it's not too bad. The, ten, the tents are heated, you okay. know. That's it's, fine. And it's easier to beer, strong beer will keep you warm. Exactly, <laughs> and you know, in Germany, we say four beers a meal. Okay, but then you got to drink something with yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's my point on that. But yeah, the it's all those real authentic experiences that people or tourists just have no idea exist. But that's yeah, they have this idea of Oktoberfest, and then they get there and they're like you. Yeah. Rather disappointed. And that's sad. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your company, so we should get your plugs in and uh, promote your, your business. Give me your title and tell me about your business and tell everybody what you do. All right. So my title is very simple and easy. It's president because Ted is the number cruncher, so he's the CEO. But I recently, Ted's my husband, yes, who I met at Zed Oktoberfest in the year 2002. And I smuggled him and all his friends on their Dare Tour experience or DER. They booked one of those classic, God knows what. He's American. Yep. But with German parents, which does make a difference. He speaks German? Yeah, he does. Okay. It's easy. It is easier. Yes. And he can eat with knife and fork at the same time, which is a skill my father very, very much appreciated when he first (laughs) met him. Um, And um, so, yeah, we started Inside Europe accidentally because I worked for an American company for many years um, while dating Ted and always refused to get married to Ted because my old boss figured that it would be cheaper for Ted to propose than him getting me a you know L1 visa at the time and I said well you know Ted will propose if you pay for the wedding Um, he didn't do that either (laughs) so then when things went south with the company I used to work for and I worked for them out of Europe um, building up their European office. We specialized in pilgrimages, concert tours, choirs, orchestras, all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, things went south. Um, and Ted, Ted saw his opportunity. We've been dating five years long distance after meeting at said Oktoberfest. In five the years year. long distance? Yeah. Where in the U.S. did he live? Uh, New York. Oh, he was in New York. Yeah. So At least he wasn't. I mean, that's the easiest place to get to probably if you have to 
Commute. It was, and um, <laughs> I had an opportunity to commute um, in a way that was quite affordable um, with a friend of mine working for the airlines. Ah, I was gonna, okay. yeah, good so, to have a connection. Yep, that really, really helped. Um, Lufthansa? Yes. yes. Of course. Yeah, of okay. course, sure. yeah. So I got to be on, you know, sometimes the good seats in the front and sometimes <laughs> on that really shitty seat right by the window. Yep. For nine hours. Um, but the things we do for love. Yep. Yeah. So in 2007, so, you know, I ch- I'm like, you know what? I'm going back to journalism. I've missed it. I loved it. Um, and then Ted saw his chance and he found a weak moment. So he proposed and I said, sure, let's do that. Um, and then we decided to get married in Venice, just to be fair to everybody. Um, and Venice is one of those towns that I've always, always loved. And we're not talking Venice, Las Vegas. We're talking Venice, Venice, yeah. the one in Italy. Um, and... By the time we actually got married, six months later, we had three groups that jumped ship from the old company that I used to work for and, you know, kind of like pushed us to start our own business. Um, Ted's an engineer, textiles, metallurgical, but he's a good guy with numbers. So he's like, oh, I'll help you with that. Um, And it took us a year to get properly started because I think one of the big issues with travel in the U.S., it's not regulated and also not protected for the consumer. And maybe that's too German, but, you know, where I come from, we have rules, we have certificates, we have licenses for everything. And for something as precious as going on a vacation and dropping a ton of money for something that maybe you do once in a lifetime, you need to be a good, honest company. And so, you know, it took us a year to get set up, but um, I did spend our honeymoon (laughs) with my first group out of San Marino, California. Yeah. Oh, so you did the tour out here? No, no, they came over. Okay, okay. Yeah. Good. So how big of a group? Uh, that was 40. Was the, was your mission to start was that we're not going over this amount of people on a tour? No, not at all. The opposite is the case because, as they say in Texas, the bigger the better. Um, and when it comes to groups, there is power in numbers. And that power in numbers results in incredible opportunities for the actual travelers and gives me a chance to work some true magic, such as, you know, privatizing the Sistine Chapel so that the choir can sing. Um, It is taking over a whole castle for everybody in the group to stay there. Um, And it's not necessarily, you know, I can do that for you and your girlfriend, you know, take over the castle, but you're going to drop $200,000 on that. Yeah, I can tell you that's not going to happen. Yeah, and it's not necessary, to be honest. (laughs) But if you're doing this with a bunch of your friends and everybody chips in, all of a sudden it becomes a deal. And I think so that the whole reason of why we started our company, which is Inside Europe Travel Experiences, we started as Encantado Tours, but nobody could pronounce that. (laughs) Um, And it didn't capture it. So it is truly to bring that joy of travel, the power of traveling together, of using those resources and creating a unique experience every single time. So we never, ever repeat an itinerary. Yes, people can go to the same place, but we're trying to figure out what can be new about it. There's plenty of hotels in Rome. You don't need to repeat the same time. You don't need to eat at the same restaurants. Because that's the story that I had when I worked for that incomer who, you know, that's still how most travel companies do it. They use the same incomer. And all of a sudden you have five different tour groups staying in the same hotel, eating at the same hotel, queuing all at the same time in front of the Acropolis right. <laughs> or off the cruise ship people. You know how it goes. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's stupid, to be frank, to all do the same thing at the same time. You know what's going on. So why not make it better? And I think that's how we started. We just, I love the dynamics. I love to see how people create memories as they're experiencing this 
with their friends, with their family, um, maybe even make new friends. I mean, I made amazing friends on these trips. I found my husband on a trip like that. <laughs> I had him work hard for it. <laughs> um, and so, you know, for everybody thinks group tours is a dirty word. And it is in a way, but it doesn't have to be. Well, I know how when that first bus tour that you worked on, those old people in you know southern Germany and Switzerland, uh, you were shocked by the size of this big group. But now you're saying you like... Now, I wasn't Big shocked groups? by the size. I was shocked by the way this group was handled. Okay. Um, that they were all just a bunch of strangers thrown together. Yeah, on a one-size-fits-all itinerary. For a country where nothing fits one size. Okay, well, let's say, I mean, are, are the bulk of your trips that you sell, are they chartered by one specific group? Or do you say, this is the itinerary, if you're this kind of person, that's who we want? Or how do you attract like people? So we're very blessed that we rely a lot on referrals and um, we take pride in the fact that if we're not the right fit for a group, we're just not doing it. Um, and I've only done one trip in my lifetime, if you want me, I'll talk about it, where I gave the client exactly the itinerary that he wanted. It was a teacher that retired and it was a group of almost 300. Uh, and it turned out okay. Um, but it was tough. So, you know, we're opinionated, we're brutally honest. If we think the trip that you want to go on, let's say you're a priest, you're a, you know, a soccer coach, you were a chef with a following in your restaurant. If I think we can't give you a good experience, we're not going to do it. So most of our experiences, journeys, group trips, whatever you want to call it, are existing groups that, you know, then may have some friends and family join or the aunt is coming from New York. But it's people that already know each other. There is usually one or two that um, have a vision. But the minute that vision is then translated into a seven-day program. And we know, you know, we're doing southern Italy, let's say Amalfi Coast, Rome, and a little bit of Tuscany or so. That's when we really look at who's going. How many families with kids do we have? Um, how many people of faith that really want to make this a pilgrimage? How many people that really want to drink good wine and eat great food? And that's where if you have a large group, you start breaking them apart. Um, so we never treat... We don't treat 40 as one. We don't treat 400 as one, especially not 400. So then we break it down into smaller groups, different levels, and personalize within. So you can go, like say you have a, a busload of 60 people or whatever it is. Um, you can say, okay, the, you know, you color code the wine group is a red group. And then the kids are the, the blue group, or, you know, the families with kids. Do you literally give them a sheet? Okay, the red group. That's a car starting yeah. right there. So we'll, yeah. people know where we're at. Keeping but, it real. Keeping yeah, it real. Right. Yes. I'm, I'm honored to be in the man cave, yeah. by the way. Very honored. <laughs> the, uh, but uh, can you break it up that day? It's like we're going to pull into town and the red group's going to meet here at this place and then the other group's going to go over there? Yeah. Well, actually, in an ideal world, we actually break them apart instead. So like a bus full of 60 people, that's something you do with kids that need to stay together and do yeah, the same yeah. thing. But that's not what you would do with families or the winos. So we break them into different modes of transportation. Ideally, if we can, we also have an app instead of just, you know, move, moving people by colors or names. So we even name our groups. So we have like Felicita, Gioia, Dolce Vita, Aww. and sum up that, that soul of the experience. But we ask beforehand already. And then as we're getting into town, let's take a group of 30. We're getting into town. We know, and this is sexist, but honestly, it's true. I personally hate shopping, but most gals love to yeah. shop. And occasionally there's one or two guys that really like to do that too. 
So we have a local guide that takes them on a personal shopping tour to small little artisanal shops. Now, my people... Yeah, I wouldn't be in that group. No, but you probably (laughs) would follow me to my favorite cheesemonger and we get some charcuterie and drink wine out of the barrel. Or you go with Ted and, you know, go to the craft beer places. (laughs) Or honestly, you and your husband just go off on your own and we'll make sure that... We have that reservation for you in the charming little place with the rooftop terrace overlooking the Colosseum, if that's what you want, or the chef's table in Venice in the vineyard. If you know where you're taking your people and you know your people, you can make a group tour magical. You really can. How? What is the biggest uh, mishap that's happened in terms of like guests? Um, whenever you're dealing with big groups of guests, there's always one medical emergency there's always have, have yeah. you had somebody die? Have you had? Any? Yes. Oh I've no. Had, yeah, I've had somebody pass. Because that happens on the cruise ships a lot. They don't tell you yeah, about it, how, it how often it is. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen. And out of respect for the gentleman and his family, I will not go into detail right. about the situation. But it has happened, and we, it was it's dealt with. It's happened twice actually. How about? Um, Arrest people, you know, get drunk and run yep. in with a bailed out people, bailed out people, um, <laughs> you know, got new passports, written many an ambulance because especially kids think that if they're allergic to peanuts in the US, uh, Italian peanuts are different. No, they're not because Italians don't even eat peanuts. So I have no idea where that kid even found yeah. peanuts. Um, in a but yeah, bar or something. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, that's that's why you travel. Like you mentioned before, people are looking for safety um, and people are looking to not have to worry. And I think that's what. Any good, honest, caring travel professional, and especially smaller tour companies, the large ones offer it too, but it's one size fit all. Um, But that's the pitch for looking for those highly specialized people that know where they're taking you. I mean, with us, you know, everybody has a hashtag. Ours is hashtag travel better together. But recently I've been working with like, we've been there again and again and again, because if you do that, then you know what you can do. And you can also handle situations that you're not prepared for, aside from the whole COVID thing. Yeah. That was just devastating for yeah, all of us. Yeah, But have, like, uh, I've worked a lot of cruise ships that they will tack on a land version. Like in Alaska, that's very common. You know, you can add a land trip onto your cruise. Do you ever work with cruise lines or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, we work with cruise lines. And actually, since yesterday was 9-11, um, where was I on 9-11? I was in Istanbul about to pick up a group of American tourists coming off a cruise ship for their land trip. Mm. Now, that was, and I'm getting goosebumps as I'm talking about this right now, that was the hardest, most challenging, and craziest trip that I've ever led. But it also showed me that you can make... I mean, they always say, you know, make if you have lemons, make lemonade. I'd rather prefer to make a margarita out of them or a cheesecake. Um <laughs> You know, these people had nowhere else to go. And that was getting on that ship and talking to that group and pretty much have to say, hey, guys, you can either stay here on the ship in Istanbul or you can come with me. We fly to Budapest and we start your trip as it's been planned, hoping that by the time we're getting to Prague, the airports are going to be open and you can fly home. Um, and, you know, it, we, we, we went. And that trip taught me a lot about why it's important to be flexible, why it's important to know where you are. Because we had, like any mixed American group, it was one of those standard tours, but a good one. It's gotten better. So, you know, after that first shitty experience, I've learned which companies I wanted to work with and be associated with. And it's also those tour companies that allow you as the tour leader, the tour director, whatever you want to be called, 
to make some changes and to adjust things. And I think that's that's where it always comes. You've got to be flexible. You can't just stick with a set itinerary. So we had a group of Jewish families on that tour. We had people of Lutheran faith, of Catholic faith. We had, you know, New Yorkers who were immediately affected. Um, and so we pretty much did a lot of churches and synagogues um, to give people chances to reflect. There wasn't much partying going on. I mean, there was some heavy drinking going on. Yeah. Yeah. And it was tough, but it was also, it was a great bonding experience going through a tragedy that for me, I was I was the outsider, but I could feel the pain. I could see how it affected everybody. And it gave me an opportunity to care, to show that we genuinely care. And I think that still is the driving principle of anything that I do when it comes to work. Yeah, I could treat 400 people exactly the same, give them the same hotel, the same food. Um, and speaking of food, food is so, so important. You know, my personal Instagram is my travelicious life. And yeah. <laughs> oh, the stories my hips can tell. Yeah, I got to work on that a little bit. Um, but Food is such a quintessential part of traveling. And guess what? You can feed 400 people some amazing meal once or twice on a trip. Not every day. That's why you got to break them up because there's no way most restaurants will deliver a quality meal. But guess who can? Restaurants that cater to weddings. Ah. Ah, see? So you just got to think. You got to think around. You got to know who you have. And obviously, you're not going to bring 400 people to a beautiful place that normally has weddings on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. When are you going there? Wednesday afternoon. The Chinese buses would. Uh, yeah, they sure would. <laughs> That's typical. Yeah. You just overrun a restaurant with a busload of people. Ah, classic. Yeah. So, wait a minute. So, it's 2001... On 9-11, so you hadn't started your company then? No, Inside Europe started 07. So between working for the... Company. Yeah, between working for many American companies through the same ground handler based in Switzerland, I got that experience. Then I went you know, back to journalism. I met Ted by accident because I had quit that job. I didn't want to be a tour director anymore. I went to college. I worked as a journalist. But I was on that waiting list. Being the host for one of those Oktoberfest trips, that was always the icing on the cake. That was like the Christmas bonus. Because, I mean, hello, you're getting paid to party for two weeks, essentially. So I was working for Bundesliga Day. You like oh, soccer. Yeah. So, yeah, I was you know working as a sports journalist at the time. And I got the call. It's like, hey, it's your turn to do the Oktoberfest tour. So I went back. I did that. Um, and... Um, yeah. Met some guy. Met some guy. <laughs> Long distance dated the guy while working for an American company that had had headhunted me okay. to help them build a European office. Things fell apart in 07. 06, we got married in 07. Had the baby in 08 and had our first 800 clients in 08 as well. And this well. is during, you know, this, you know, the economy's crashing in 08 and 09. But you and know what? It was did our... that affect you? I mean, it affected most people, things. I mean, Yeah, I think it... It affected us in the way that the clients that we had at the time, and a lot of our travelers are um, educational organizations, it's church groups, it's people that value uh, getting a good deal. And, you know, with a group, you can always get a good deal. You can get a great deal if you have a luxury group, um, but anybody that charges a group more than individuals is ripping them off. And that's wrong in my world. So with a group, you can get a deal. So we had these groups that had planned for to go on this trip. And yes, the economy tanked, but they had already set money aside. Um, so they went. And just like traveling right after COVID, um, 
there is beauty in going when not everybody is traveling. Um, just like I promote traveling in the off season, yeah, going absolutely. to taking the roads less traveled, seeing the cities that are not the big ones, or yeah. So no, it wasn't. It was a good time for us to travel. And yet again, we handle small amounts of people. The most we've ever had was a thousand clients in a year. Um, oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So and that's conscious. You know, we we could have built this up bigger. But then you lose that personal touch. You lose that ability to work magic. And if we have a group of 400 traveling, we don't have anybody before and nobody after because we're all exhausted. We know our bus drivers <laughs> by name. We know every single host that we have on these buses. What's the typical length of one of your trips? Is it a week and a half, 10 days, two weeks? It depends. It- if it's schools, it's usually seven, eight nights. Um, and if it's uh, leisure groups with young professionals or, you know, our age group, right. um, you know, where we still only have limited <laughs> vacation time where you got you can't leave the kids home alone for so long. Um, yeah, so it's, I think the sweet spot for going to Europe should be at least nine nights because, you know, it takes you a while to get adjusted. But average, it's like seven or maximum eight. Right. And the bulk of your clientele are mostly... Americans, mostly Americans, mostly people from California. To be honest, really? um, yeah, people that you know appreciate the little finer well, we things in life. <laughs> you do have the, you have the people, but you also have a travel culture. So I live in South Carolina, and I soon had to learn that the people go to the beach or to the mountains. Yeah, they don't really want to go international. Well, yeah, isn't that? Uh, I always think for a European, that's got to be shocking to them. And I always, I'm, I'm one of the few that have been to. I've been to all fifty states. I've been to like almost a hundred countries. But I'm really a, an anomaly in America and stuff. And I guess the average, they've done a study. I think the average American maybe goes has gone to like eight states or something. And most people end up living within a hundred miles of where they were born. It, it's. Um, it's bizarre to me, but it's bizarre uh, to a European. Yeah, no. and as and that's what I mean. As a European, you're going, this place is massive. You, you think nothing of going to another country for the weekend and just driving. You know, we don't have that luxury because it's so big. But the idea of just traveling is much more ingrained, and I think honored in Europe because I mean, just look at the amount of vacation time you have and paid holiday. Um, they they value it as a as a as an important part of life. And it is, honestly, for me, it is the greatest part of life. So you've been to way more places than I have. My, I'm like over over 80 at this point. But let's You take- dive deeper in. You're, you're more knowledgeable, though. I mean, are all your trips uh, Europe? So you're Well, yes, and, yes and no. So this is kind of like the, the shift that we're seeing after the pandemic. So personally, I've traveled beyond Europe. Oh, Europe, sure. Yeah. In, in many ways, and also with our daughter, because that, for me, is the greatest gift that I can give my kid is showing her the world. So initially, when we started the company, we, we dragged her along. So before she was six months old, she was in 15 countries. Um, she traveled to Germany at six weeks on Mother's Day. I never forget that one. How's her German? Her German's decent, you okay. know, better than Ted's, to be honest. Um, she doesn't poor have, Ted. I know, he always gets stuck, but he gets the fun tours. Ted does our beer tours, so oh, you know, it's not does, that yeah. poor. Um, he just came back from three weeks in Europe, which was supposed to be a one week trip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how that goes. Did he go, did he do Oktoberfest? No, it's not, it hasn't started yet. He went to September, though. Yeah, it's about to start. It's the it's end only, of September. I know, but it's only a couple, I thought it was a whole month of September. No, only a couple of weeks. Yes, it's only oh, okay. a couple of weeks. No, so Ted went to again. One of those other real beer festivals, yeah. um, the Regensburger Dult, and there's the Augsburger Dult happening at the same time. I mean, in August, you cannot 
find a place without a beer festival in Germany, for example. <laughs> so that's a great, great time to go. And that's when the hops are growing. It's really pretty. But it's also, you're a fan of uh, shoulder seasons, and that is not a shoulder season. I mean, July and August are, are probably the peak tourist seasons there. They're peak tourist seasons, but, you know, everybody always wants to go to Italy. And that's cool. Italy is my number one yeah. destination. I speak Italy, Italian as fluent as German can um, without getting into real anger management issues. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, I could talk about Germany in the summer for hours. Um, and if you want to go to a place where you're not overrun with Americans, think of Germany. Okay. You know, Austria... Not so much. Um, you know, Salzburg is super popular. Sure. The river cruises. Sound of, the, sound of music tour. Sound of music tour. <laughs> yep. And the, uh, well, do that. Because it, like having traveled so much around Europe, um, you've seen a lot of change. And certain countries get hot and then they, you know, very popular and then they cool down and certain so others get very popular. And then, and now it seems, you know, Croatia has been found out. Um, you know, and Portugal now has just been overrun, it, it seems. I mean, great places, but yeah. they've been found out. I mean, do you yeah, know they've a- been found out. And, and, and it's kind of like it's funny because I have this my beautiful friend Audrey keeps sending me all these things she sees on Instagram about, oh my God, look at this, look at that. I'm like, yes, Audrey, been there 10 years ago. Yep, mm-hmm, <laughs> done that. Yep, this is nice. So it, it's like, let's take Chesky Krumlov, for example, which is a magical little, truly fairy tale. It can't, you know, it doesn't get more picturesque. It's on the border of Austria. It's a little oh, yeah, UNESCO yeah. heritage in site. In the Czech Republic? In the Czech Republic, it's yeah. It's like a spa resort kind no, of town. No, 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 no. Chesky Krumlov is, it's just, I mean, truly. It's in the mountains. No. What am I thinking of? You're thinking of Carlsbad, I think. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, because yeah, European spa towns, you know, it's like a bunch of naked old people. It's not really yeah, that, that, not it's my idea. Of was a, this in a Bond movie? Maybe that's what Possibly, I you know, I'm, okay. I'm behind on my Bond movies too. But <laughs> anyway, it's just, go on. It's just one of those magical places. So is Matera in Italy. And all these places, yes, they're still magical. With Chesky Kromlov, it's very easy, for example, because it's overrun now with day trippers from Prague. It's overrun on those bus tours, but hardly anybody ever stays overnight. And that's my biggest advice to people. If there's a magical place, you don't just want to be there for two, three hours or the day. You want to spend the night. And honestly, many places that are really magical stay there for two nights yeah. or three. Really, And during the day when all the tourists are crowding, that's when you go out to the countryside. That's when you do these other things. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Portugal, thankfully... Prague, you said it yourself. There's another one that's just been really exploding, you know. But all these cities only explode in certain spots. It's the same with Rome. Rome is one of my all-time favorite cities. And I've been going to Rome for now over 20 years. I can still tell you tons of neighborhoods where you will never, ever see an American tourist, even in height of the season. Mm-hmm. So it is still possible to go to those cities. But even a place like, uh, you know, especially, you know, cruise ships, you know, getting back to that. We were talking about that before we, we recorded. But, you know, they can overrun a city, especially during the day. Yeah. You know, you look at... But uh, they only overrun a certain Dubrovnik, area. Dubrovnik and Venice and, and stuff like that. But how do you... Let's pick Venice. I mean, especially in the summer. How do you avoid crowds? Do you have to go first thing in the morning? Is that... Well, first of all, Venice banned the cruise ships from the bay, which I know, is great. Which is that that's was the one of first the COVID positives. I that mean, was amazing. good things to come out of it. Finally, yeah, great and Barcelona things. here is talking about it, or at least limiting some of them. Yeah, Dubrovnik is also talking about yeah, they had putting to. a limit. You they couldn't have move to. in the old town. I know. In the day. 
And so, you know, first of all, and that doesn't seem like rocket science, but this is public information. Anybody can look up which ships are in town when. And, you know, as a tour company, that's the first thing I do when I plan an itinerary. I also make sure that, for example, Florence, the museums are closed on Monday, as most museums all over Europe are closed on Monday. So if you're only in town for two days or a day, everybody wants to see the David. (laughs) So you make sure it's not that day. So it's, you know, thinking ahead. It's knowing where you're going and what's happening. Yeah, so you just do anti cycle you just don't do the acropolis in the morning every single cruise ship and tour company (laughs) does the acropolis in the morning which it's brutally hot anyway go in the afternoon it's magical (laughs) there's also three different entrances guess what don't use the one everybody else uses walk around the other side do anafiotica first have a coffee let your people have enjoy a really good lunch and then go in without the crowds yeah yeah and where i was just in pompeii last year and uh, I always tell people, bring water and sunscreen, because there's no shade in Pompeii. <laughs> so. yeah. And did you ever go to Ercolano? Uh, no, I didn't. we didn't do it. See, because that's my other thing. You know, there's, you know, Pompeii is beautiful. It's massive. It's hard to grasp. Yeah, and there's hardly anything left. It either, yeah, yeah, it's huge. Now, why not go to Ercolano? Hardly anybody's there. You have still real artifacts, because most of the Pompeii artifacts are in the museum in Naples. Also, love Naples. If you've not spent time in Naples, it's one we of those cities... We ate a lot of pizza. Great pizza there. Um, So much culture. Also some areas you shouldn't be going to, but those are harder to find. Um, Well, not that harder to find. We we found a couple near a hotel. We stayed near the train station. Oh, yeah, uh, don't do that. Yeah, Yeah. well, where were you last year before I made the... It was easy, though, because we were were coming in and out. It is convenient. We went down to Sorrento and, you know... But then again, you know, you can get your Rolex stolen from you in Beverly Hills nowadays, so... Well, this is why I don't have a Rolex. That's the only reason. So uh, what are the places now that you are, are telling people that may not be on, like most Americans' radar? We know the big places, but like, what regions and countries and cities are really on your radar? Like, this place is really cool and more people should know about it. So before I make a shameless pitch for Germany, which is the underdog for everybody, and I didn't care about Germany as much growing up there. I didn't know how special well, it was well, until I granted. until I left and seen it through other people's eyes. Um, you know, the French are hard to deal with, but the further away you get from Paris, um, the more magical you can get. So for me, the Champagne region, but again, not Reims. It is the other part of Champagne that nobody knows even exists. You're just driving 30 minutes the other way and you have all these small family-owned petite maisons, many of them nowadays led by, you know, young, excited people that, you know, want to bring the old traditions back, get away from the chemicals, um, produce without added sugar, no headache the next morning because Mm, I love a good bottle of champagne, no sulfides, yep, no sugar, it's the Brut Natures. That's an area, you know, you go into the vineyard with like an old de chevaux or one of those, you know, beautiful VW buses now with E energy. So you stay keeping it green. <laughs> um, you just that's I think that's one of my favorite areas. Then um, Canton in Austria, another region hard to pronounce, um, just over the border from uh, Germany, um, close to Slovenia. Magical, the Dolomites, Südtirol, Trentino, Alto Adige, um, the Marche, Lazio, Umbria, you know, the other Tuscany. That's, um, (laughs) you know, the New York Times did right, except that, you know, people still don't think there's anything other than Assisi to be seen there. And again, that's, no, there's so much to go. Have you Um, been to Puglia? 
Yeah, Love Puglia. Okay, a friend of mine was asking me about it. I haven't been to that. But yeah, Love people Puglia. Are, that's the heel of the boot, basically. Yeah, Basilicata. That's where Matera is. You know, you've probably seen those cave hotels. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's Matera, um, which is a magical place. And it was really, really cool and uncrowded 10, 15 years ago. So maybe once in a while I'm like, hey, maybe I am a trendsetter and I'm finding these places before they become popular. And then you um, make them popular and ruin them. for. No, I don't. That's what Rick Steves does. That's what Rick Steves does. Oh, my my God, I have so much beef with that guy. Oh, okay. You got a beef with Rick Steves. Yes, because that's when you find that magical place, that really, truly small, yeah. small magical place, you don't put it in your guidebook. You just share it with your friends. You share it with a small group of people because that small place cannot sustain yeah. with the people it attracts after being in well, your Give book. me an example of a place you ruined. One of my favorite restaurants in Rome, okay. which, you know, where people went for a two and a half hour lunch because that's how long it took to go through all those courses. And that's, you know, the prices were incredibly reasonable because people went through all of those courses. Then all of a sudden you get your tourist that only has 45 minutes to eat. So what do they do? They order a pasta to share with two Cokes, um, you know, bitch about the fact that they have to wait 20 minutes for the pasta to cook with the sugo. And then they're not getting the wine that actually brings in the money. They're not having the espresso afterwards. They're not doing... Yeah. So... Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have these loud tourists next to you, which means the locals don't want to go anymore. Yeah. So that's my story here. Mm. That's, uh, that's too bad. Well, now, as a tour operator, I always uh, wonder about this. People who run tours, one run hotels and anything, or restaurants, like you said. Um, now, in this Yelp uh, TripAdvisor world, and people leaving, you know, shit reviews for things, whether warranted or not, how do you deal with that in uh, today's world? And some Instagrammer or whatever, you know, says something bad and makes you look bad. What is your defense? It's tough. I mean, I think the the one defense you have is to actually get back and answer in a, you know, polite and kind way, if at all possible, um, and set the record straight. But it's tough. It's absolutely tough. And personally, I don't look at Yelp. I don't look at TripAdvisor. Um, yeah. I still like Google Maps and Google Reviews because I have a feeling that the people that are on there have actually more so really been to the place. Um, but yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's the only way you can survive, I think, nowadays, if you have a really good product. And if you have people that experience your product, that talk good about you to their friends, um, that you can show what you've done. I mean, that's the story with my phone. I've running, finally run out of iCloud space, two tetras, 100,000 something pictures, and God knows how many videos. Um, to just, you know, you gotta, you gotta show what it is like and prove that you've been there. And I think that's, that's what sets us apart. For the restaurants, I mean, a lot of my favorite places, they don't even have a website. They're hard to be found. Um, their Google entry sucks. But they don't need that. You know, mm -hmm. if you have a really, really good restaurant, it could even have the shittiest reviews. People don't care. You know, the peop the real people that know and that have eaten in the place, when they see a review saying, oh, the pasta was undercooked. Yeah, because it needs to be al dente. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I, I don't take yeah. food reviews and things from... You know, I, I do not do TripAdvisor or Yelp. But I don't care what some, you know, guy from Iowa came there and thought about it. You know, just, but I will look, you know, again, sources I trust. Um and we've been around enough that we know people we trust and, yeah. and to give us, you know, and, and that's the thing, you, the you, inside you, you story. You work the inside story. I mean, and that's the whole idea of with us. There's 
no degree of separation. If we have not seen a hotel personally, somebody I know, somebody from our team, or have not eaten in a place, we're not using it. We're not going there. And um, the best places to be found is from other foodies or chefs that recommend you yet another restaurant. It's it's for me like the whole Michelin craze. Um, I'm so over that. I used to be fascinated by it. And, you know, I loved Anthony Bourdain and followed his shows <laughs> and have eaten at many of the same restaurants accidentally that then later on came I've had in, that his, in yeah. his shows. I also, you know, I, I actually did a pilgrimage and go to the place, his, his final place. Um, and but he, checked again, in. like Rick Steves, he could ruin a restaurant too. He could ruin a restaurant Just too. Just by naming but it. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. You know, yeah. I never, never, you know, but I, the price of popularity. The know. price of popularity. That's very true. But I mean, um, but also places like, uh, you know, Lonely Planet could do the same thing. You know, they, they, they would put a, I use them pre internet, you know, traveling around with my Lonely Planet book. But if they named a restaurant and said it was good, that place was full. Full. Yeah. So I always wondered about the people who wielded, who wrote those things and just, you worry about, hey, this is the restaurant owner. I want to pay off that guy. And honestly, that is the very sad part of it. Nowadays, yeah. a lot of those guidebooks, you need to be pay. You need to pay to feature, even as a city destination. You have mm-hmm. to pay. For example, for Rick Steves, some of those guides are paid for. Yeah, right. and that's that kind of sucks. Yeah. What level of accommodation do your tours do in terms of like? It's hard to say, but it was it's a three star, four star, or do they vary from? Yeah, we we go. It it, everything is personalized, so every single experience is customized for the people that are actually going. And there's some travelers that look for that old world charm, fluffy plushy castle. There's others who embrace the modern, you know, clean lines, Philip Stark. Um, You know, what we do is we call it sight sleeping. So it's less about the star level because there's sometimes there's two stars that have all the amenities of a five star, but they don't have that one little thing or a lot of the hotels don't want to be five star anymore because that excludes them from hosting medical conventions very important fact to know so you know the four four star superior three star superior Um, it's not every star level is different in each and every country too so that's important to know I've seen Um, what four star what passes for four star in India it it is not oh yeah no (laughs) anything we know as four star no and I've stayed in a magical two star in uh, near near Bilbao Spain which was incredible but they just didn't want to have a full time uh, employee sitting at the desk at night for five rooms because there was no need for it there was an emergency number you could call if something goes wrong but that already made sure they would never be a three-star um, but to answer your question so site sleeping i think where the hotel becomes part of the destination so for us it's mostly location it is also amenities depending on who's going and what they're seeking um you know and it doesn't have to be that the hotel necessarily has a restaurant and if the hotel doesn't have a restaurant it can't be four-star Ah, right. So you have to keep about that. But if there's a magical restaurant next door, you know, how That's much more thing. important is that? Like, oh my God, hotels.com or whatever, yeah. you know, booking site or Expedia or things like that. And then I look at hotel reviews, and especially in America, like eight out of 10 of the reviews are, I didn't like the breakfast. It's like, I don't give a shit about the breakfast. Yeah, I don't, I don't eat care. in the morning. Yeah, I need coffee. Does, yeah. yeah does, do I, can I get a coffee? I can go out and get food. I, I don't need, you know, they didn't have the pancakes I like. Well, tough shit. Yeah, but you know, I don't care about that stuff. So I weed those out. The only thing I look for is, is a consistent thing of like, if I read enough reviews where people are going, hey, it's loud. You know, yeah. that's something like... Safety, or cleanliness, exactly. Yeah, that kind of thing. You know. and that's a red flag and stuff like that. But breakfast, I don't. I don't care. 
However, there is some, you know, I'm not a breakfast person either, but my husband and the kid, they love breakfast. And so do most of our American travelers, sure, to be yeah. honest. So we pick some of the hotels mm-hmm. based on the breakfast that they have. But with the breakfast, and I look forward to them. Let's take Naples again. Do they have the local goodies from yeah, the, the pastries, yeah, the pastries. Yeah. do they have you know really good coffee um that's those are the things that matter is it local products i think sustainability is a big deal for me so whenever possible we look for hotels that are locally owned that feature local products that have um green measures in place which most americans won't like because that also means the air condition won't let you cool their room yeah. down to about 58 um <laughs> and you got to keep that was that shocking to you too when yeah. you came here it's like how freezing everything is and especially being in the south i always get sick when i go down there because of the air conditioning going from the heat into the cold into the heat into the cold and you would see europeans in restaurants just bringing jackets in the middle as they're freezing. Yeah, they're our freezing. favorite story is when Taya was, but I got no, two and two and a half months old. And she was like a little baby. So, you know, two big people with a tiny baby getting into a taxi in Rome in the heat of July. <laughs> and the taxi driver immediately opens the windows, turns the AC off. And we're just like, uh, hello, no. And he's like, no, 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 no. Arricondizante, male per il bambino. And we're like, bambino americano. He's like, oh, okay, windows up, yeah. air condition on, you know. So the baby's American, we're cool. Right. Um, but, you know, in Germany, we're deadly afraid of something called the Zug, the draft. Um, and yeah, air conditioning. None of us want to sit underneath an AC unit and get blown away um, by it. Do you have it, a dryer? Do you have a dryer in the house? I do, but we barely use it. <laughs> okay, that's the Because other thing. what for? I mean, <laughs> what? that's the other thing Europeans hate. It's like, ah, oh, dryer. I remember there was somebody staying at my house and I didn't want to do laundry. And I think she was from Hungary or something. And I was like, oh, she had just jeans and T-shirts and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, no, just... jeans go in the dryer. Come on. She was like, oh, no, no, don't... Like, the T-shirts especially. And these were not fancy T-shirts. She's like, no, no, they'll ruin them. It's like, it's a T-shirt. Just, no, 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 I'm not, I'm, no I'm, not, I'm not that no, we'll lay, I grew we'll up with a dryer. You know, again, okay, I'm West... Back, brings us all the way around. I'm what about from West ice Germany. Do you put ice in... Like, we, de- we de- put way too much ice in our drinks, right? And depends. So, so I don't like ice in my water, but I drink bubbly water only. Oh, okay. So, you know, because that takes away from it. <laughs> um, I don't understand how people put ice cubes in wine. That is just sacrilege. Oh, that's, that's, that's just wrong. That's wrong. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, but so, you know, here, talking about what can we do to make our travelers happy. Wherever we go, I make sure they have ice cubes and lots of ice cubes <laughs> on hand. We give people butter with their bread. If they like it, why not? Oh, and don't get me started on this whole, what is it, the Olive Garden, where you, we have our specialty mixture of olive oil with balsamic vinegar. <laughs> I still cringe. I still cringe every single time that I sit in a good Italian restaurant and people ask for the olive oil and balsamic and then they put their little plate and start mixing it together. Does it taste good sometimes? But... It's not a thing. It's just not to be done over there. Well, what do what things do Germans do looking back that drive you crazy and going, "Oh, why do we do this?" Well, Germans look at things. That's why I love Americans. So Germans always look at things from what's logically. wrong. Yeah, well, logically, more of a negative perspective. So I really, I mean, that's that's why I really enjoy working with Americans. Um, it's There's more of a positive outlook in life. There's an excitement. There's an inherent curiosity. Yeah. Um, now, I think Germans and Americans have it in common that they like things their way wherever they yeah. go. Um, but I also think that's my job then to be the storyteller the ambassador the translator between the cultures so we always take pride in the fact that you know we we prep our travelers we also not just let them get on a plane and have no clue what awaits them we prep them also for what the air condition is going to be like and why why the bus is not going to sit in the heat 
blowing out, you know, gas and fumes and polluting the whole town while they're on a walking tour. And yeah. you know what? Tough luck. We can all buy a little handheld fan, rechargeable though, rechargeable and hopefully from recycled materials <laughs> um, that we have forever instead of using just one time. And it's okay to sweat a little bit. It's a good feeling. It shows you, or again, travel in a low season and then you're not as hot. Um, you know, I don't get the ketchup loving travelers that they, I had one this year and it was like we were in Paris on a you know very lovely culturally immersive foodie trip and that gentleman just kept continuously asking me where he can find the next steakhouse uh, or KFC and he got really excited when he saw McDonald's. Boy, was he on the wrong tour. Yeah, he was. Um, <laughs> but you know, again, we made him happy and let him eat whatever he wanted at those places and we just, just uh. shook our heads and kept moving on. <laughs> but that's not the people that, that look for us and that want to travel right. with us. Um, now, speaking of kids, you know, that's totally fine to cater to kids having a different palate. My baby started out eating everything, and then we went through God knows how many years where oh, sure. her diet was extremely limited. I didn't like mustard as a kid, you know, and then I grew into it. Yeah. I didn't like vegetables, but then I grew into it. Yeah. I grew up. You know, your palate changes over the years. Yeah, and, and that's, that's totally fine to cater to, but nobody that hates food or only wants burgers should ever travel with me unless it's a, just a group of burger-loving people. Then yeah. we can make that happy as well because the burger is coming. Right. Burger, burger is huge centric. nowadays. Of course. You yeah. get that. Every, one of our great uh, exports to the world. <laughs> the uh, Let's talk about you personally before we... Uh, ooh, we got to get going. Um, how about you? What are your dream destinations? Where haven't you been that you're dying to go to? So I was let down by Tahiti, and I know not, it's not the natural beauty, but it's the food aspect of it, because steak frites is just not what I die for eating anywhere, especially on a hot hot island. So I would love to go to Fiji. Um, I think that's one of my bucket lists, or American Samoas. I, I love islands. Uh, I'm sensing that. Yeah, I do what? like islands. Um, Taya really, really wants to go to New Zealand and Australia, because that would be both of our final continent to conquer. I can't wait to go back to Antarctica, to be honest, because I have saw penguins as teenagers, and since I'm raising a teenager, I'd rather see penguins with babies, <laughs> to be honest, although I wasn't into the baby years either. That was more Ted. Uh, yeah, long story short, yeah, where else would I love to go? There's so many places. Even in the countries that I love is seeing other parts. So I recently was in Portugal, and friends took me back to Alentejo, which is the wine region, not the Douro, but the other wine region that is still rustic. Um, yes, the roads yeah. are rough. I was there last um, year. Okay, there we go. So yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Um, or in Spain, there is, it's not just Andalusia, there's um, that whole Basque country, or Rioja Alavesa. Um, just outside of Barcelona is that magical town of Cardona, with a parador on top of the hill. It's a little village, village that couldn't have better foods and tavernas. Uh, same in Greece. There's yeah, Go to Crete instead of Santorini. I just made it into the Washington Post with Crete. Crete is amazing. Crete is it's big. I, it's, it's almost. Big. I, I didn't make it there the time I went, but just because it's, I just didn't have the time because it seems like a separate trip in it all itself. Yeah, and then you know wherever you go, be it in Athens, be it in Santorini, be it in Mykonos, what are the best restaurants? Cretan chefs or Cretan cuisine. So there's a whole reason why you should go to Crete. Mm -hmm. um, where else do I want to go? I've I've not been to Vietnam and Thailand yet. Oh really? So, you know, that I'm amazes really, me. 
Yeah, I did, you know, surprise. Com- you know, I did Cambodia, I did Malaysia, um but not Singapore. Thailand. No, not Thailand because I've always wanted to, to do it with a friend oh, that okay. is local and just because that's when you get the best experience. Sure, and I think yeah. when you were asking are we limited to Europe? We're mainly focusing on Europe, especially when it comes to those um bigger, larger group experiences for families, friends, you know, company trips and all of that. However, trip that changed me forever was Kenya and um, going on a cruise in Botswana. So these destinations, or this summer, I took Thea to the Maldives. Um, I went back after 20 years. Wow, Um, how was that? The Maldives. uh, They're in the Seychelles, I've always wanted to see, but that's a long way from here. It is a very, very long way. And um, I always struggle the most with making decisions for myself and picking the right hotels because I just, I'm like you, I read all the reviews, I look in deeper, I know the chains, I do a lot of research, just like it, that's that's inherent. If you're yeah. a journalist, once a journalist, always a journalist. So I thought I had picked the perfect hotel. I took an Indian chain because I love Indian food. Um, and, you know, the Maldives, there's no such thing as indigenous cuisine and all the food is coming brought in from Dubai anyway or the Emirates or anywhere else in the world, uh, except for a few fruits and some local food fish and um we had barely checked in and i was already working on my exit strategy because i hated the place i hated everything about it and this was the trip that i was looking forward to with our daughter now i did a crazy thing before we checked in for six nights into said place is i wanted her to experience a seaplane ride and so we had I found this little European-run island um, in the North Atoll. And so before we checked in onto our relaxing vacation, we did the seaplane ride. We're supposed to stay in that island for just one night, did the seaplane ride again, because it was cheaper to do the seaplane ride with a hotel stay than just a seaplane ride. And oh, yeah. Okay. So guess what? We checked into the other resort. Next morning, we checked out. And um, we went back to that little island because that incorporated everything that you think about the Maldives. It was tiny. It was small. It was clean. The other island was closer to the airport. Um, Too built up. Too built up. Too much garbage. The food just sucked. I mean, it was devastating to me. Um, And I still feel really bad that I hadn't figured out that they were not only offering Indian cuisine, but they were offering 150 dishes from all over the world in one restaurant. How can that be any good? So that's not the place. But that's the part I couldn't research right. beforehand. Island, don't you just get the fish? Even the fish was frozen. You know, if they offer salmon the fish, in the, the Maldives. The fish was frozen on the island? On that, pers- on that, on that big resort oh, that we stayed okay. at. Yeah, not on the, not on the little small yeah, one. Yeah, oh, my God, that say. was magical. Yeah, yeah. No, that and sounds the sh- great. The chef even there made us uh, chicken tikka masala because that's Tea's a butter chicken. That's her favorite. So he not only made it for her... Aside from it being on the menu, he even gave her the recipe. <laughs> and that's that's great customer that's, that's service. Cool. So, yeah. What's the craziest thing you've ever eaten? Like it? Um, King Snake. Ooh, where was that? Yeah, I don't recommend it. Um, regular Snake was okay, Cambodia. Um, okay. But the King Snake, which was highly, highly advertised um, to us as being the best of all snakes. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. That just, no. <laughs> the crickets in Mexico on top of the guacamole, I can do that. I draw the line um, at giant snails, for example. Oh. Yeah. The texture's um, rough. It's yeah, it's, that, it's a texture thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, snail bourguignon, yes. I go anytime. Um, and I love barnacles. So when you go to Portugal next time, if it's in the season... If you've not had the barnacles, they're so good. It's like... The stuff you scrape off the bottom of the ship? 
Well, they're called percebes. They look like they look like, like really freaky. Yeah, they like. Um, I'll send you a picture. Okay. It's it's the ultimate seafood. Oh, it's, nice. Again, weird texture, but weird, worth worth trying. Okay. How about do you have a good stomach? Have you ever gotten sick anywhere around the no. world? Wow, good for you. No, no, it's those Germans, but also alcohol helps. Yeah. <laughs> Craziest thing you ever drank. Some local liquor that was horrible. I don't like mezcal, but that's not really crazy. Oh, no, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You didn't get like some snake liquor or some made from venom or some oh, kind of okay. crazy... Oh, okay. Nasty German thing. Asparagus oh. schnapps. Oh, Ugh, that's, asparagus that's schnapps. nasty. Yeah, that's absolutely nasty. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. I'll get you a bottle. No. <laughs> no, no, no. It's something that you can put on the shelf. It also has like, you know, just like, you know... I don't like, need more know, stuff to put on a shelf. I'm okay, good. Okay, never mind I'm then. I'm minimized. No more things. I'll yeah, even no. give you that uh, mug if you'd like. I'd love that mug. You want um, it? Yeah. It brings back memories because, I mean, we used to... That's what to, I mean. You have a connection to it. There was, somebody gave me that over the years and, you know, I'm, I'm no. thinning out thing. Yeah, but I'm, I'm heartbroken. We no longer have our office down here in the Alpine Village, but we're opening one in Montecito now in my friend's backyard in a okay. little tiny home, so I'm excited about that. For people, this is not video, so uh, it's a big, giant uh, Oktoberfest mug from uh, Oktoberfest down in Torrance, California, which is nearby here that went out of business, sadly, Yeah, that's last like, year. Two, your office was there? Out here? Yeah, it was in Alpine Village. It was together with another travel agency called yeah. Nonstop Travel. The uh, girl I met with you. Who, uh, yeah, Jennifer. Jennifer, yeah. yeah. I follow her on Instagram as well. Yeah, she is off to India right now. Yeah, I know. We keep trying to... I, I asked her about doing the show at some time, but she's never around. Oh, she'll she's, be. She's very hard to pin down. I'll get you for so her. So does she have another office out here? Yeah, they are now in downtown Torrance. Thank okay. God. So. See, when I mentioned fake Oktoberfest, this is the, this, these are the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, that it was, was fun. But it was I a mean, fun experience. I've never seen gang activity so close up and still felt yeah. kind of safe. Um, that's, yeah, quintessentially LA. Yeah, it's very... <laughs> when the Crips and the Blood start showing up, that's probably Oktoberfest is done. Um, all right, we should start wrapping it up here. Uh Tell people where they can find you on Instagram and uh, your website for if they want to book a tour and everything else. All right. You can find me on Instagram at My Travelicious Life or Europe Insiders. That's, you know, where we're going to go next and what we're doing. Um, our website is inside-europe.com. Yeah, we're, you know... But, contact us email us if you have a special project that you're working on like I said you know we're small we're boutique um, we work only with very few selected groups we mainly work with travel advisors um, because that's the service that you also want to have you know we provide the product they provide the day to day the flights and all of that fun stuff and just guys keep on traveling and travel to places away from the crowds travel when not everybody else is going you can really see our world in so much in a different special beautiful way if you're not going when everybody else does that's perfect um also finally what has all this uh, living in two different countries uh, being around the world and traveling and meeting being to every continent what has it taught you about people what has it taught you about yourself and what have you learned how has it changed you 
it's given me an amazing life. Uh, you know, I, I always say I love and live to travel, and I'm very, very blessed to travel for a living. Uh, I've not been to all continents yet, so we're still working oh, on Oceania. Uh, no, no, that's that's coming up. That's where I want to go, okay. or actually where Taya wants to go. Usually, if you say you've been to Antarctica, that's usually the last one for everybody. No, I always held off with Australia and New Zealand, um, but it's coming. That's going to be Taya's oh, okay. graduation present, I think. Um, that's an easy one, though. Yeah. It's just far. That's Whatever, I learned about people. Um, there's assholes everywhere, um, <laughs> but they're fairly easy to avoid except if you're on a plane or on a cruise ship sure. um, but even yeah. then you can escape um, just just get a, go away from the crowd sit down in an area where you know you find I mean for me my, the best advice my father ever gave me is follow the single old man when you're looking for a place to find lunch and that has proven to be, or the construction workers, it's the truckers in France. If you see a lot of trucks parked at a, you know, a restaurant parking lot and a place that looks like nothing from the outside, you're most likely going to get the best meal for the biggest bang of your life. Um, or in Alentejo, you know, I've, I've stalked this handsome well-dressed older man as he you know did his rounds i could tell he was not gonna go home but he picked up some bread he picked up some cheese and then i saw him walking through this unassuming curtain there was no menu outside nothing and i'm just like i looked to the window i saw all these tables i walk in there it's a restaurant it was incredible. That garlic soup, you know, made me stay faithful to my husband for weeks <laughs> yeah. as I kept on traveling. But that's 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 it. So yeah, for me, I hope I don't have to stop traveling anytime soon. Um, I I don't care about the big house. I love fast <laughs> cars, but those you can rent as well. Very so, German. Yeah, very German. <laughs> you know, what if I fast car? You should have asked me about that. So I recently drove a 911 GT3 on the, on the Hockenheim Ring, and I can't wait. Next year, I'm going to get into a Formula One car in Monza or Imola because that's something you can do as well. So on your tour, can I book that? Yeah, you can totally book that. Uh, so you have car enthusiasts? I am a do car enthusiast. To, do people come just to drive, like in in Germany and things? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, but you combine that again with eating and drinking. I well, mean, you don't drink yeah, while don't you drink drive. <laughs> don't drink while you drive. Although NA beers, that's a whole other big thing. You know, people are always like, "Who man? You know, how much beer can Ted drink?" I mean, a lot. But there's this whole new trend of having really, really good non-alcoholic beers, and it's not so much a trend. It's always been there. Just people didn't know about yeah. it. I mean, a lot um, of them tasted horrible. Too. They did, but that has changed, thank God. Yeah. And um, you know, after every marathon in Germany, you get non-alcoholic wheat beer. Nurse moms drink non-alcoholic oh, yeah, wheat well, beer. Yeah, all the vitamins and minerals in it. Exactly. Makes for some great hair. <laughs> right. That's yeah. great. So I hope I answered the question. But yeah, I, I mean, I love traveling. And I, I'm really, I wish my, you know, title would be travel ambassador or enthusiast or something like that. I'm still coming up with something that really describes what I do. Memory make. I have no idea. But Well, it's the best gift you can, I think you can give to your daughter as well. You know, and, and she may not appreciate it or maybe she does or you, until she's a little older and go wow what a, no, she's a there. unique childhood this, uh, she's finally there after I've dragged that kid to 43 <laughs> countries finally this summer did it she she loved Greece she loved the Maldives she wants to become a pilot now so you oh, know for her. that again will be a whole new dimension well, let's of hope where she we're going father, she has her father's uh, engineer brain that helps she does yes okay. and she's very good with numbers so if she had my brain she'd be in trouble I don't know if she'd pass the math requirement that would probably wouldn't be good but thank you for doing this. And thank you for uh, coming down and bringing me coffee as well. Hey, I, I, I travel for coffee. If you follow me, you know I really travel for coffee. So, and, and this is very good. So you know, where, you know your spots. 
I do. And you live in a wonderful part of the world now, which I'm very yes. jealous that oh, you get to well, enjoy come it. Visit but anytime. come visit. There You'll we be go. back, right? I will be back. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Sandra Weinacht. Ja, Did I say? Dankeschön. Und Bitte. auf Wiedersehen. Bitte. Bitte.